home of the Eagles, Sixers, and Flyers. WENJ, WENJ HD, Millville, Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. I feel 4-9 Blondes, what's up, is apropos. What the hell's going on with baseball right now? Last night, Rob Manfred had the audacity and the gall to come out and say, well, a week ago I said 100% we're going to have a season, and now he's saying, eh, I'm not so sure. And it got reaction all over the place uh, to where now people, I feel, are turning on Manfred, that they think he's the problem more so than the owners of the players, that it's Rob Manfred that is the problem. Weak leadership will put you in this position. And Rob Manford, the problem now? Well, the problem is, with this whole scenario you just laid out, is the owners essentially have more power than he does at the end of the day, kind of, sort of. So it still goes back to the owners, if, if you're going to say Manfred's an issue. How weak did he look last night, though? He that just looked ugly. like a defeated man. That was bad, Gil. That was real bad. Seriously, like he just looked like he got the crap kicked out of him. And that they threw him up on the screen and said, good luck. We're all I counting think he's on lost. You. He's lost. The players are lost. The owners are lost. Baseball is lost. And it's sad. So what do they do to move on? Can they after last night? Rob Manfred told Mike Greenberg last night on ESPN that he is not confident there will be a 2020 season. Frank Close told me last week that by the time we did this segment, he thought there would be a deal. Frank do you now feel there will be a deal at all after seeing Manfred last night? Well, I, I think they have to, but I, I'm, I'm sure I'm certainly shocked by the the way this has played out. Uh, you know, I thought when the players said, "Okay, fine, you're gonna you're gonna default to that 50 game season or whatever it is you're gonna do, you're gonna do that anyway." So just tell us when and where. I thought that would be the end of it. Well. Now we hear that they're worried about the grievances being filed, and, and I guess they're afraid they're going to lose. Or and then you have uh, theories that 50 games, you know, if you're going to play 50, you need to wait a couple more weeks. So this is a stall tactic. So there's so much stuff going on right now that that it's it's, it's really just what you said. What's up? Yeah, right. Exactly. What's up? What's going on? Uh, what do you make of the two sides? Both sides essentially saying that they are negotiating in bad faith? Well, I, I think the players do feel strongly that they should be paid in their, their full prorated salaries uh, to provide the same service. I think I think what ended up happening was they that from the Major League Baseball side, they were talking about the same amount of money being paid to the players, whether it be a 48-game season or – a 76-game season, if you were talking about pay, paying them in a prorated way. And, and so the players basically just got to the point where they said, okay, well, we're just we're going to let you pay us um, <laughs> as we agreed, and it'll be 48 games. Because let's face it, why do you want to play more games for the same amount of money? Uh, which is why I think they just sort of – I don't know if they totally gave up and defaulted to that. Um, I think that might still have been a negotiating ploy because what would have happened if – if you just defaulted to that 48-game season was you did then not agree to 
expanded playoffs, and the owners probably wanted the money from the expanded playoff. Uh, that, that kind of leads me to conclude that that um, that's kind of where they're at, and, and I think that the, I think that Major League Baseball, in kind of saying that they had a fallback forty-eight game season um, as a way of sort of threatening that to the players, they didn't necessarily think that they would point out that uh, you couldn't expand the playoffs that way. So, I, I, and I think too part of the problem too is. A lot of this was happening through through the media. So hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you think the forty-eight fifty-game thing was a scare tactic to just say, "All right, you know, if that's the fallback, we're not going to agree to any of these. Just tell us where and when." And that they really didn't intend that Manfred never really intended to step in and make them play. I, I see. I think he. Here's the thing. I, I think that they were they were hoping it wouldn't come to that. They would agree to something else otherwise. Because if you agree to that, then the, the re, then you would be out of that extra playoff revenue, right? Because the players would have to agree to play extra rounds, and that's something that would bring more revenue into the owners. So, um, so maybe that scare tactic was not something he ever actually wanted, and maybe he thought that they would have agreed to something by now. Uh, maybe he felt that the players would budge off of the prorated salary agreement for March. But um, and then the other thing too is <laughs> all of this. Well, the thing that, that MLB drops in today is like, oh, well, a lot of people had the virus uh, in terms of players and coaches and other and other people involved in baseball, and whereas that health was never brought up up until this point. Well, that's what I was going to say is, how about the health side of things? I mean, is it possible that we have to sit through this mess? They finally either agree on something or they are forced to play a certain scenario, and then the virus just goes, nope, we're not even going to play. So then baseball goes through this ugly, ugly mess just for there to be no baseball anyway. How will that really (laughs) impact everything moving forward? Well, if they do, I have a hard time thinking that it's going to get to the point where they can't play at all. Where I think you're going to have some problems is if you have some uh, players test positive in a large level on on one team, and, and you have to really work out how you're going to pause. In fact, um, you know, and you can hear you can hear us break down the numbers on the Powder Blue podcast tonight at six. But um, but Scott Lauber, he had he had a good point. He kind of counted out the, the days. And you know, here's one thing I'm just going to throw in here now. I was thinking of this afternoon. Don't you want to build in a couple extra weeks in case you need to stop for a couple weeks? I mean, usually the usually a two week period is enough to sort of figure out who's not going to get sick, or even for some people who do get sick for the virus to pass through. So there's 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 so much at play here um, that. And I, I got to think, though, that they, they have to be ready to work around it. If you if you start play and some players can't play, you have to be ready for that taxi squad. And, uh, and yeah, it's going to be awful if you're the Phillies and Bryce Harper happens to be one of the ones who gets sick. Let's hope that's not the case. But the reality is they might, they're going to have to be ready to charge forward if somebody gets sick. And, and let's say that's what's happening in all kinds of other jobs that we have. I mean, Schools seem ready to open. Uh, I teach college courses. Uh, they seem ready to, 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 to be opening. Now, they're making some sort of uh, uh, changes to the operations to, to make it safer or as safe as possible, but we're going forward with it. And, yeah, if a professor tests positive, well, then you might look at who that person came into contact with and, and work around it. 
Um, baseball could operate like any under uh, any other industry right now. I'm curious your thoughts on the whole social media aspect of things. You have Andrew McCutcheon coming out, who is a veteran, very well-respected. He's a funny guy, but he puts out a video about uh, juice and water and relating it to what's going on right now between the union and the owners. And then, yeah, Bryce Harper tweeting at the Eagles. And, you know, it's just a lot of the players are vocal on social media. Trevor Bauer, very vocal about it. What are your thoughts about the player side of things and, and using social media to kind of show the ugliness? Uh, that's a really, really good question. I mean, it, it's certainly entertaining at times. Uh, Trevor Bauer, uh, if you don't follow him on Twitter, his handle is Bauer Outage. Um, definitely one of the more outspoken people. It's very entertaining at times, but you know, I, I think for for players, sometimes they're, they're managing their own brands, and uh, you know, they they don't want to be seen as the bad guy in any of this. They want they want the fans to be feeling like you know they want to play. They want the fans to know that you know they're not being unreasonable and they're frustrated too. And I think that. You know, yeah, Bryce Harper, uh, but you know, posting to the Eagles. Uh, you know, by the way, yeah, the Eagles have a couple positions he could probably fill if uh, he felt like uh, putting on some pads. Uh, but um, I, you know, the, in a way, it's managing their own brands. You know, Bryce Harper is more than just a, a baseball player; he's a big name. He gets endorsement deals, and it's kind of good to have the fans on your side. So, I, so I got to think that for for the players, a lot of it is showing that uh, there's a McCutcheon brand or there's a Harper brand or there's a Bauer brand that's that's not the fault here that's still of still somebody who wants to work hard still somebody who wants to play because I think that's what's going to resonate with the fans and, and social media is, is how they kind of convey those messages well you have a lot of the players Frank uh, who are basically tell us when and where and that was really, you know, Mike Trout, okay? When Mike Trout, he's the biggest name in the sport, he's the biggest star you have, and he tweeted, tell us where and when. So the players are essentially spinning this back around, even though they will not budge off the 100%. They're trying to say, hey, we're ready to play. Tell us when and where, and we will go. Um, and the owners essentially uh, are put in this spot where now it's like, okay, tell us where and when. So my question is, do you think that Manford is at fault here? Now looking at all of this, the players won't budge, the owners have done this, blah, blah, blah. But is it Manford's lack of leadership that has put us in this spot? That's a really tough one to answer. Uh, one of the things that's kind of coming out here is that there there are individual owner perspectives uh, that, are, that are at play here. And pretty much the, the uh, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic pointed out that if eight owners decide they don't want to play, that's enough to put the kibosh on the whole season. Uh, if you look at from the owner side of things and the owners voting, so um, so it could be that Manfred is is trying to uh, maintain a uh, unifying voice for all of baseball in his public negotiations, especially um, you know as they were trying to work out a deal. Uh, but at the end of the day, the owners still have to agree as well. So. So there, there's like leadership in a couple areas here: leadership among the owners and leadership, of, you know, in, in negotiations and um, with the public perception. And and uh, that obviously, the, being a commissioner is a tall task, and and uh, it's kind of hard to, to to really get inside the, the the discussion with with the owners. I would really like to hear more about 
what the owners' perspectives are right now. What is it that's keeping the owners from wanting to play? Do some simply, you know, and 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 Scott Lauber makes a, a good point that the you know the the only thing that that the Phillies have indicated is that there's a letter that went to employees that indicated the Phillies could lose a hundred million dollars this year. Some teams might feel it's cheaper to shut it down, and that could get in the way. I mean, maybe they're not seeing the bigger picture. Maybe they're not seeing any um, damage that this could do to future earnings. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a lot there's a lot to work out, and, and so um, I would be curious about what that ownership discussion is like before I, I judge Manfred. Uh, we'll leave you this: Will there be baseball? Do you uh, uh, still feel, or have you lost hope? I, I I still think yes. I I I, I think um, from Trevor Bauer from inside uh, the Sky Lover kind of felt the same way. I, I think I think that this will drag out maybe another couple weeks. You'll get the 50 game season, and uh, then we start worrying about a strike after 2021. Ooh, that's ugly too. All right, Frank Close more tonight. Powder Blue Podcast six to seven right here. 97.3 ESPN, their guest, Scott Lauber, to break more of this down. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, guys. I don't like, uh, you know, I said yesterday, I think in the end, you, you talked about it, Broads, the question you asked, coronavirus. Apparently, there's this report, the Associated Press, that a bunch of players and coaches have coronavirus. And do you remember what I said at the end of the show yesterday? Yes, that will essentially be what baseball uses as its crutch to say, you know what? Coronavirus kind of took over. We had too many players test positive. Couldn't do it. It was interesting timing. No doubt it was interesting timing. Oh, all of a sudden, baseball has all these cases. It's just it's a little odd and ironic that that was the time where it, it came out to the public. No, uh, I, when I saw it last night, I was like, huh, that's interesting. Based on what I just said earlier today on the show which was I think the coronavirus will be the reason they end up using for saying, look, we tried, we went back and forth, which we know is, is, is BS. Uh, but in the end, we were too concerned about too many of our players had coronavirus, so we didn't want to start a season up to only have it shut back down. Let's not forget what Frank just ended on, though. The future agreement that they need to come up with, that's going to be a major problem. Yep, uh, and you could get short-term baseball 40-50 games this year and not have anything next year because of how bad the taste in the mouth is right now. Or you don't have either. That too. Sports Best brought to you by Bacharach. It's the only no recovery robot in South Jersey. Know your rights to access the most advanced rehab available today. Visit Bacharach.org for more. I might have to uh, confess something here, Broads. What's that? I may have to go White Claws this weekend. Ooh, I did not expect that to come out of your mouth at all. I didn't know where you were going. Yep. Now, why? I promised my girl. I didn't promise her. Um, we're going to try this keto. All right? I've been doing the keto. I can't be drinking IPAs on the keto. But the huh. White Claws, like, so there's an app that tells you, you put it in, and it'll tell you, like, a, B, C, or D, or F, whether or not that's, like, sufficient. No IPA is sufficient. They're all F. But the White Claw, if you put it in, let's see what grade it is. I forget. Let's see. White Claw. Um, 
Which one did we have the other day? It was a mango, right? Yes, the mango. Although that's not my favorite, but it's a good one. Okay, mango. It's only it's um all right. So if I drank a mango, that's a keto gray A. Wow. Meaning I can have a couple of a couple of them. And guess what? You have a couple of those, and you'd be surprised. You get a little banged up. They, they do some damage. I will say this. I, I prefer that, I think, over, like, the traditional light beer. I just can't I can't drink the light beer anymore, man. It tastes different from what I'm now, used to. I, I had some cold ones on Saturday. I was sending you some texts. I started with the double IPAs, the Cape May one, the uh, Coastal. Yep. What is it? What coastal is it called Evacuation. Again? Yes, and then I went you to found the them. standard IPA. Yeah, I saw the whole entire, they had a bunch of them. I, I switched over to just the standard IPA, also from Cape May, and then I went bang right to the White Claws. And I See, went, my buddy, what, what am I doing here? My buddy said, you know, that's why you got to drink liquor. I, I don't like liquor. I can't drink liquor all day. No, 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 no. Liquor, I'm, I'm out on the whole liquor part of my life. There was once a 3 a.m. Atlantic City style of broads, and that is no longer uh, in even play. when I was Even when I was, like, out and could hang out for, like, you know, a long, long time, I just never been a liquor. I never drink, like, liquor. Um, you know, he's like, ah, drink vodka. I'm like, dude, I, I just, the problem I have with it, like, if I, my buddy drinks vodka and, and, and Coke, and I'm like, dude, I can't. I'll drink it like a like a Coke. So that's I'm a firing them down. Like, you know, th there's no sip in it. So I, well, I that's not a good way for me. So I got to come up with some scenario. So I'm almost like every other week, I might have to switch off. Like one weekend, I go the White Claw. And then the next weekend, I go IPA. So I don't do it every weekend IPA. Now, I'm excited. When when it's the White Claw weekends, maybe I'll come down. Only on the White Claw weekends. Well, I think but I will say, this might this surprise be, you? This might be the White Claw weekend. Oh, okay. I'll have to check my schedule. Hmm. But uh, does this surprise you? Back when I was playing college hockey, there was a drink special called the Broads, and it was vodka cranberry. How about that? Did you vodka cranberries called the yeah. Broads? Yeah, the Broads. Yeah, that's real original. Yeah. Well, no, but it's like that was my go-to back then. That was it. I was the vodka cran guy. They got the Broads. Like, yeah, I'll take a Broads. Bang, they got it. Oh, everybody drinks vodka cranberry. Yeah, but it was named after me in town. I mean, that's pretty good. Were you the only person in the town drinking a vodka and cranberry? No, but I'm just saying. I mean, if you got a drink named after you, that's pretty good. I mean, that's solid. Yeah, I know I, that's a standard drink, but I can imagine being that standard. That's like, yeah, look, but IPAs are standard, right? Imagine there being an IPA at West Virginia that everybody drank. And the people are like, yo, I want the gill. But it's a standard IPA everyone would drink. It's still cool that you are tied to that IPA. Now, normally when you have something named after you, it's because you came up with an original like food or drink that you came up with. And so they named it after you because you're like the one guy who does it. And then other people started to drink it or eat it because of you. Not, hey, I'll take a vodka and cran that everybody drinks. Well, the reason it was called the Broads is because when I went in freshman year, I mean, that was it. I was slugging them back and that was it. Dude, you're drinking so many vodka crans. Yeah, well, and now it's called the Broads. My freshman year, I got to be honest, I was drinking Tom Collins. You ever hear of that? No. I mean, it's like an old man trick, the old Tom Collins. Yeah, I'm like, out on that. Every one of my teammates had, you know, the whiskey straight, and it's like, no, we're going with the Broads tonight, baby, well, which the, would be the complete opposite. The Tom Collins, a little gin, which is an old man drink, you know, lemon juice, sugar, a little carbonated water. I don't even know that I really liked it, but it was like, 
<laughs> freshman year, I'm down there. I'm like, I'll take a Tom Collins. And people are like, dude, this guy's drinking a Tom Collins. I'm like 18 years old. Now, in West Virginia, in 1995, the bars, you were allowed to get in the bars at 18 years old down there. I mean, you couldn't legally drink in the bars at 18, but this is the funniest thing. So there was this bar in West Virginia. And all the bars were like underground. Most of them were like downstairs in the basement, okay? So you're going down the stairs. It's dark as can be. And you would show the guy your ID, right? I'm 18 years old. They would mark you under. And then say it was Friday when it was 10-cent draft day, okay? Yeah, 10-cent draft on Friday. What? Yeah. Friday's Friday's from 3 to 3. It was called the tradition. 3 to 3, it was 10-cent drafts. So you would get marked under, and then the next guy, he would check your ID, mark you under, and then the next guy would be there with a cup and 10 tickets, and you'd pay them the dollar to give you the cup and the tickets. It's like, this guy just marked me under, but you're selling me the tickets with the cup. They didn't well, care. how about that? They didn't care. Oh, no, we had, I mean, a lot of places are probably like that in those college towns, no? We had a 25-cent pitcher night. We didn't have anything like that. Yeah, you got to get out of here. I mean, well, what do you mean you got to get out of here? <laughs> what, what, what? You're the one coming into my territory with the white claws. I mean, clearly, I need to stay. Uh, well, I mean, you're not the first. person. I'm changing introduce- your life. Actually, you're not the first person to introduce me to one. I've even had them before. Now, what I mean, are some of the? What though. are some of the competitors? Truly, truly is a big one. Okay. Now they have the Bud Light Seltzer, and I think there's also a Corona Seltzer now. There's also the High Moons, which I believe is vodka. And, yeah, I mean, there's seltzer. There, there are so many competitors. No, this is this funny. Thing. A buddy of mine just texted me. I don't know if he's listening or not or if this is just random. Literally just got this text. White Claw Weekend. No, he has to be listening, no? He says, my buddy's DJing there, all the good oldies music. White Claw Weekend. So is he listening to me saying that and am I only getting the invite because I'm agreeing to drink the White Claws? Or is this just a complete coincidence that they're having a White Claw weekend? So you think if you never mentioned the words White Claw weekend, you might have not even been invited to this party. Right. Am I just get is that like the secret word? Like, hey, White Claw weekend. Oh, you're in. I think you just got like a if I said, invite. Hey, if I'm going IPA all weekend, is that like this guy's not coming in with those heavy beers? That's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> so once again, I changed your life. Uh, no, I just, I made the decision to change. Yeah, All but right? without me de- demanding and forcing it upon you, the last couple weekends when I or the last weekend I came over, this wouldn't have happened. I saw you and your girlfriend. Wow, look at the look at the calories. Look look, look at the sugar. I mean, you guys were just amazed. <laughs> yes, she's a big IPA drinker as well, but unfortunately, she wears it a lot better than I do. Not unfortunately, fortunate for her, unfortunate for me. Don't say that, Gil. No, he, he did admit that he's listening. Okay, so it wasn't just a coincidental thing here. All right, I'm in. White Claw Weekend. Sounds good. Saturday, 6 o'clock, DJing up all the good oldies music. I'm in. Karaoke? Woo, baby. Uh, I did a little karaoke, but I only do the karaoke on my back porch. We got one of those karaoke microphones. And we pass it around the room. You know what? You know where I found the karaoke microphone? Where's that? When I was at Clearwater for Philly Spring Training, we were getting pedicures, and they had a 
they had a gold microphone and it was tied to your phone and you were sitting there getting a pedicure singing away karaoke. Now you make fun of me for white claws and you're doing what now? My girlfriend was getting a, a pedicure. We were sitting there with her. Uh-huh. In like the in the chairs. So uh -huh. she was there getting the pedicure done and we're sitting there. We were bombed. Yeah, you were sitting there in the chair getting one too. Singing a karaoke. <laughs> well, since you were singing, imagine doing that with the White Claw. Now we're talking. It's a White Claw weekend. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. All right, uh, we got the headlines. We'll mix in a little ass Mike and Broads and the headlines. Like, we'll do, like, one, like, big segment coming up. We got good ass Mike and Broads questions today? Yeah, we do. And they are related to Brandon Brooks because okay. people are very interested in the Brandon Brooks situation. Hmm. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. We'll do uh, Ask Mike and Broads and the headlines. So if you have a question for Ask Mike and Broads, send it in now. 609-403-0973 on the text board. 609-403-0973. Text board is open, plus the MGPT Top 5 at 5. All right, it's time for the headlines. It's Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Broads, Mike Gill, Hunter Brody at Broads 81 at Mike Gill Show. A couple text messages coming through. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. If you have a question for today's Ask Mike and Broads, we'll try to fit them in as well. So text us your question. 609-403-0973. Before we get started, we have another full weekend of golf ahead of us, and DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Head to the app right now and check out all that they have to offer, including player props, day-by-day -day action, and even hole-by-hole -hole live betting. And to top it all off, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering special odds and promotions throughout the weekend. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code 973. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Do you want to start with uh, an Ask Mike and Broach question? All right. Do you think this Brandon Brooks injury can be the difference in a division win or not? And that's from Mike M. Can it be the, the difference in winning the division? Yeah, so I, I guess it's how important is the loss at right guard. I mean, right. you kind of said that they will be able to potentially find a fix. Not a, maybe it's not a long-term fix. Maybe it's, obviously, it's not going to be as good of a fix. But, you know, will they, he says, will it be the difference in a division win or not? I mean, that's just, ask the question, how impactful can this loss really be? I guess be? the question could be, does it, does it shift the balance from Philly to, to Dallas? Now, do you think that is, the case if, yeah i mean if they're if they're close that's a big loss man if you're if you're saying these two teams are neck and neck but i'm gonna lean philly is this a big enough thing to move you the other way i would say yeah until they but, figure out what they're gonna do to fill the spot right now that's true when you dive into the numbers of brandon brooks and how many sacks he allows and the pressures it is 
It is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's elite. It's so ridiculous. And it's something that just goes under the radar because, as I kind of stated, the big men up front, they don't get the recognition. You think about the offensive weapons, the playmakers. Yep. But what he has done number-wise at that position is so lethal. It's going to be so hard to fill that gap. It really is. Yep. It's, it's, a, it's a huge loss. Uh, I don't want to downplay the loss that it is. It's a huge loss. But, again, I'll go back to I think they are much better equipped to fill this loss than if they lost, like, Deshaun Jackson again or if they lost um, – you mentioned Jason Kelsey. I think that's probably tougher to fill finding another center. Well, let me ask you this. You bring up Deshaun Jackson and – now with some of these fast guys, Jalen Rager and, and John Hightower, even though we don't know too much about him, but we, there's a lot of speed. That's obvious. Do you think it is as bad this year? I think last year, yeah, you're right. It would be so awful. But do you think this year, now that they have more speed, that it would be as bad as or worse no, than this year, Brandon Brooks? This year, I think they're more equipped to fill Deshaun Jackson getting hurt. By okay, I don't know if they would be talent wise, but skill wise, they would be. They just had nobody that could do what Jackson did in terms of speed last year. When they lost him, they had nobody to fill the speed. Like you know, hey, go run a a, a, a straight fly down the field. They didn't have that guy. Now they could. He might not right. be nearly as good, but at least they have someone who has the skill set. That's a difference. Absolutely, and this kind of goes into an, another question asked, and it was from Keith, and he asks if we are shocked by Doug Peterson's comments on Alshon Jeffrey, and I think that kind of oh, ties together brought this up. with the wide receiver stuff because Doug P was, uh, you know, pretty positive on the whole Alshon being a part of this offense once he returns. I'm glad he brought this up because we're going to talk about this tonight with uh, DeCheco. So he essentially said Jeffrey's a big part of the process moving forward. You know, in other words, when he comes back, he will be a big part of the offense. He said he's a big part of our offense. So what's his role in this offense? Don't you think his role would be what it has been over the last couple of seasons? I can't imagine them changing that role. It, it is what Alshon Jeffrey has been throughout his entire career now. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where Alshon Jeffrey is a starting wide receiver. You're going into this, and it's almost like every conversation we've had that Jeffrey's not even a part of the conversation, is my point. So where does he fit in when he comes back, and who gets bounced? I mean, Rager, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, and I know people out there going going say, yeah, Ortega-Whiteside, he sucks, get him out. But what if he has a bounce-back season as a second-year player and starts to play pretty well, and he's got a nice role? All of a sudden, you're just going to say, hey, sorry, dude, you're done? I think you just find a way to kind of spread the ball around and, and just throw him in with everybody else. I mean, yeah, maybe J.J. Ortega-Whiteside does lose some snaps, but that doesn't mean you take him out completely of the entire offense if he's playing well. I started out being one of the, the people who was kind of ready to move on from Alshon. I thought I was convinced that they would find a way to, to maybe eat the cap. I mean, we're talking earlier in the offseason. I thought after everything last year, it's probably a spot where they're going to try and, and move away from him. But I've kind of convinced myself that it's worth giving him another shot. It's worth keeping him here. And I'm almost more intrigued than I ever have been with Alshon with the other weapons surrounding him that 
he might be able to be a, a really important piece to this offense once he is able to get on the field. I'm just interested to see if for eight games they got something rolling and they got guys who have good roles, if they're going to just change all that. I don't know if it's technically – I mean, it, okay, if he, if he gets thrown in the mix, is it changing all that? Yeah, it's changing things, definitely. But I don't – I can't see a scenario where Alshon returns, the team's playing well, and then Alshon's getting no snaps and he's not performing at all. You know, I just can't imagine that happening with Doug Peterson. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think Peterson's loyal to his veteran guys, too. So Jeffrey's a guy who has been here, won a Super Bowl. If he's back, I don't think he's just going to have him sit on the sideline. I don't think he's as fried as everybody thinks he is. I mean, he's not the same as he once was. He's definitely towards the back end. He's a little bit slower, although he never really had true speed. But I still think that there's some left in the tank. You saw a little bit last year against the Miami Dolphins, was it, where he had a a really good game? I mean, he has moments where he can totally be a, a factor, and I still think he has something left in there. I don't know how much, but he has something. Yeah, I think last year I don't think he was ever fully healthy. And I'm not saying he's cooked. And guess what? He could be that possession guy. I mean, that's what he is anyway. So last year, he was the number one guy, and they had nobody else to compliment him. With Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey, you would think that Jeffrey, now, that one game they played together, Jeffrey had five for 49 and a touchdown. You know, I mean, it's not great, but he had seven targets, five catches. He had a touchy-boo. The best game he had was that game against Miami, nine catches, 137. He had a game against Minnesota where he had 10 for 76, which isn't all that great yards per catch, but he had 10 catches. I mean, I think there's still something there from Jeffrey. The question just is, how does he fit in if everything is going well without him? That's my only, it's different if you're like, man, we're really missing a guy who can move the sticks. Right. If J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is the same player as he was last year, it's an easy decision, right? You move J.J. Ortega-Whiteside to the bench, and you slide in Alshon, and you find a way to get everyone rolling from there. It depends, though. Depends. On. Um, Okay, let's say you have Deshaun Jackson, Jalen Rager, and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside's kind of struggling, so then you change and bring in um, Marquise Goodwin, and he starts to play really well in the slot, and you're starting to connect, and it's like, look at all this speed. You got Goodwin in the slot. Look at all these speed. And then all of a sudden you're going to say, wow, we've been really clicking with all this speed. Let's get Goodwin out of here. Let's move Rigger to the slot and move – you know what I'm saying? Like now you're going to ask Rigger to move, possibly. I don't know. I think there's just a the possibility of a lot of moving parts. No, that's very true, but we can all agree that Doug Peterson is a, is a smart man, and I think if you give a good coach a lot of weapons, guess what? He's going to find a way to utilize all of them to the best of his ability, and, and we do think that Doug Peterson is a really good head coach. So it's almost as if, are we almost saying, look, there's too many weapons. We don't know if this good coach is going to figure it out. I don't know if we can play that card. So I just trust in Doug Peterson that, he will know when to utilize certain packages and when to have guys out there in the proper situations. Because if if you know what you're doing at the head coach position, then I think you'll be just fine, even if you have a lot of weapons. Um, yes, yes, I agree with that. It just will be... I think the biggest thing will be if the offense is performing well without him. That's it. Now, if it's not performing well, it makes things easier. But if it's performing well without him, how do you then implement him? That's, that's I think, is the bigger – it doesn't mean that Doug doesn't know what he's doing or he's not smart. It's, 
hey, you got something that's going pretty well. Now you got it's almost like you know the whole Sixer thing when you have no Embiid and you're playing really well, and then Embiid comes back. It's like I got to figure out how to get Joel Embiid. It's not that he's a bad player. It's just we were playing really well without him, and now you got to slowly try to figure out how to get him back in there. No, that's fair. I mean, imagine if Matt Pryor plays so good at right guard. Here comes Brandon Brooks the next year. It's, well, what do we do? I mean, you got to put him back out there, right? I mean, isn't that kind of how this Alshon J.J. Ortega Whiteside thing might be? That's Maybe. An int- that, and that's another, I mean, that's way down the line, but that's another interesting potential scenario. Yeah, well, guess what? We'll worry about that if it happens, and we will be honored and, and pumped if that happens because that means we had a great season ahead of Matt Pryor. But let's transition a little bit into maybe our first Broads line, if you will. And Adam Silver is confident that the player concerns over the NBA's return will be addressed. And I bring this up because it is essentially the complete opposite of what you're seeing in baseball. You're seeing Adam Silver talking to these players and and listening to what they're having to say and addressing it to make sure that they will be able to, to move forward. And I like the fact that they work together as one, and you're just not seeing that with baseball at all. And I thought Mosher brought up a good point, and you'll hear that tonight on the Powder Blue podcast from 6 to 7 on 97.3 ESPN. But he, he brings up the fact that the NBA is a player's league. So the way that the owners and Adam Silver connects with the players, it's different than in baseball. And I said, look, you might have to look, baseball might have to look at that and say, yeah, you know what? The players might run the asylum technically, but it works. Look at the NBA. Look how much people care. People want to see LeBron. People want to see these top players play. Mike Trout's the biggest name in baseball. He's on the West Coast in L.A., and the name doesn't pop as much. I mean, the players running the asylum clearly works for the NBA. Maybe you should take something out of their book because it works. Look what's going on in the NFL right now. All right, look what's going on in the NFL. I know a lot of people will uh, groan, but the NFL has decided, you know what? We're changing course on the way we've thought. We've been this kind of crusty old league that has really, for lack of a better word, suppressed the players. No fun league, can't do this, don't do that. And now the NFL is essentially saying, you know what? We were wrong. We were wrong. Our players need to have more of a voice. We have not allowed ourselves to listen to our players. The NBA has listened to their players. And many people feel that they are the most progressive league and that they are viewed, and Adam Silver is viewed, as the best commissioner in the league. Why? Because he doesn't tell the players what they're going to do. He listens to them and then makes a decision. And I think Roger Goodell, it's funny. He was looked at as the worst guy, and now all of a sudden, Goodell's being looked at as, huh, when did you pass your super inept powers over to Manfred? Yeah, I I would have to agree with you. I I think that Goodell is starting to... People are looking at him differently. Now, I don't know to what extent. It's obviously not to the Adam Silver extent, but... I just think when you look at what the NBA is doing, it works. And there's there's something to be said about it. I mean, football is a copycat league. Basketball, to an extent, is a copycat league. When you look at the three-point shooting, how about the owners and the commissioners? How about that becomes copycat? And you realize what works in sports, and then you figure it out from there. I mean, it's crazy. But what do you think about the whole Kyrie Irving situation and, and the whole platform? That'll be our next headlines here. Because I think that when you look at what Kyrie Irving is saying, I think that there is logic behind it. He doesn't want basketball to take away from the the special message that needs to be heard. 
But I don't think that he's realizing the platform of the NBA can multiply what's going on in the streets by 10 million and they can still get the same message across using that same platform of basketball. Yeah, and I think the players, I mean, for the most part, understand what, where Kyrie's coming from, which he's hoping to give a voice to these players who may not want to resume the season in Orlando. But I think enough players, and I thought it was... Um, um, who's the coach in uh, uh, Doc Rivers' son, Austin Rivers? Did you see what he put out? Yeah, he put it up on Instagram. Yeah, he put out a message on Instagram, Austin Rivers, that essentially said, hey, I respect what you're saying, but we can do so much more by playing. That platform is so much bigger if we're playing, if we're on television. Um, and he also kind of threw in there, like, look, we don't want to ruin the league. You know, we don't want to be the people that – potentially bankrupt and and ruin the entire NBA. We are a part of what built this league to where it is right now. Let's not also be the people that ruin it, but let's use the platform that we will have as a positive. So I think in the end, Silver's respected enough. The players want to play, and I think Kyrie got his point across. But there are some people that think Kyrie was only doing this because that he wasn't going to get he wasn't invited to Orlando. Because he's injured. Correct. That's an interesting way to look at things. Mm -hmm. Now, Patrick Beverly came out and said, look, if LeBron wants to play, we're going to play. And I... I, Well, there's this whole fight between the secondary players thinking that the stars have too big of a voice. Right. And I, he's not wrong. And, and when Michael Jordan said something back in the day, people listened. And when Shaq said something and Kobe said something, I mean, when you're at the top of the league and you say things, it's definitely viewed differently. And it has more pop than, say, when other guys say things. But I, I think LeBron James is so passionate about what's going on and the movement and the message that needs to be heard to the point where, you know, if he thinks that it could be worked out on both sides – he, he couldn't be more passionate about the whole entire movement that's occurring. So if, if he's such a big name and he thinks that it can be done and he's, and you know how much he loves and supports what's happening, you would think that that's enough for a lot of these players to realize the same because he is a voice that is, is so loud and it's up there with the whole global star and one of the biggest athletes ever. So I, I don't know. I mean, I just think that you need to continue the basketball season and – continue what the message is. You can totally do both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Absolutely. And and at the same time, you you know, keep in mind the basketball season won't be starting for still over a month and almost a half now. I mean, we're at what? Like the 16th to the 17th. So it's ju- 16th. It's just a day under a month. It's still a month and a half away. Before that. And then the NBA Finals comes into play. I mean, now we're talking October and w- with the whole protesting stuff. Is it still all going to be the same as it is right now? I mean, there's a lot of questions, no doubt about it. But I, I did get a, a text, by the way, from my buddy for Ask Mike and Brokes, Tim. And he wants to know, because you mentioned the light beer thing, and this happened at the end of last segment. If you had to drink a light beer, a Bud, Miller, or a Coors, mm-hmm. what do you go with? Uh, well, I used to be strictly Miller guy. You know, when I was, like, in my 20s, before all the IPA stuff came around, I was Miller all the time, every time. I walked in, the guy would crack one, boop, there you go. I didn't even ask. Can? No, bottle. 
Ooh, wow. So you did a full change, not just one oh, third yeah. IPA, the but bottle is, of the can. The can is rather new. It's within like the last two years where okay. I've gone just can. Um, now, I would say I would rank them like if Miller was not offered, like maybe I'm at a place where they have a sponsor or something where like, you know, I don't know where sometimes like, uh, it's very rare where like they don't have all three. But I would say, and, and it's not, look, I, I don't mind any of them. It's just that my taste buds have changed so much that it's tough to go back to the Miller or the Coors or the Bud. I would have to agree. See, I would go I would go Miller, Coors, and then Bud in that order. Yeah. I, I, I think I overdid the Bud a bit. Were you a Bud heavy? I could do a Bud heavy. I, but once again, I, I would go in that case, Miller, Coors, Bud heavy, Bud light. Yeah, like, Miller was always my go, and then, I mean, Coors, I, like, my buddy's dad, he slugs down Coors lights like you would never saw before. And if I'm at his house and he had Coors, like, I'm not going to, I would pound him down with him, like, oh, I'll take a Coors, you know? Bud was always, like, third on the list, like, a distant third. Like, I, it's not that I didn't like it, it just wasn't as, you know, wasn't in the lexicon as much. Now, those Bud heavies, whew, my they buddy, really are heavy at times. My buddy... Is a Bud Heavy guy, and he still rocks those Bud Heavies. The red cans? Yeah. Oh, I used to shotgun those back in the day. Oh, Woo! man. Oh. But, you know, I mean, now you try to go from an IPA to a just a regular light beer, it's tough. Oh, it definitely is tough. Now, tough. Jake wants to know, do we think that Carson Wentz will now, in the back of his mind, have to worry about scrambling more, and, and when he's in the pocket, he's concerned about that right side? Or does it just come naturally and just plays the game? Like, once the ball snapped, your your instincts come into play, and you don't really worry about it. Or do you think now, psychologically, he's worried about that right side? I would think that your instincts are more in play. I mean, unless it's a total problem right off the bat, and he's getting got pressure right up the middle... I doubt that he would be looking at that right off the bat until it happens right off the bat. Well, you know he is very strong moving to that right side and throwing on the run. So I just wonder if because that's one of his strong suits and because he naturally goes that way, if he does think about it. Fair question. But I think, again, we're just imagining that this guy who's going to come in here is going to be a total abomination. And I don't know that that's going to be the problem. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. We'll have to see what Matt Pryor does. I'm very intrigued, though.